Hey, this is Sean Tepper, the host of Payback Time, an approachable and transparent podcast on business, investing, and finance. I like to bring on guests to hear authentic stories while giving you actionable takeaways you can use today. Let's go. If you're building a business, you need to put systems in place early to make sure you have an exit strategy that actually pays off. My next guest has a history of building and selling two different service businesses. In this episode, we talk about how to structure the payment models, how to improve operations, and how to add more value for the buyer. Please welcome Jason Skisik. Jason, welcome to the show. Oh, Sean, thank you so much for having me, man. I'm really excited to be here, and I appreciate you sharing your audience with me today. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. Well, why don't you kick us off and tell us about your background? Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to keep it brief, though, because there's it's been kind of broad. Uh, as a young man, I went into the United States Army and spent four years there as a network engineer, uh, which means they give you a shovel and you dig holes, lay in conduit and pull cable by hand. When I got out of the military, I did two things at the same time. I went to school for finance um, to become a commercial banker, and which I ultimately did. And the second thing I did was I started a small CrossFit gym as a hobby project with two other veterans uh, on the fourth floor of a dusty warehouse in Chicago. And then over the next few years, I'd be working on a $50 million deal, a $20 million deal. And all I could think about was my little dusty CrossFit gym. So eventually I decided that the entrepreneur's life was for me. And I've done that for the past 12 and a half years. Uh, run that CrossFit gym. Uh, about two years ago, I sold it um, because I had fallen in love with what I do now, which is working with other entrepreneurs and helping them to find success in, in building and scaling businesses and teams of their own. Got it. Perfect. So our audience, we've got a lot of people who are investing in the stock market, looking to build their wealth that way. But we also have a lot of entrepreneurs and these people like to create um, multiple streams of revenue, ideally passive income, but they are also looking for liquidity events, kind of like what you experienced. Now, you mentioned you sold a CrossFit gym, but before the podcast, you said you actually built and sold two different businesses. Is that correct? That's correct. Actually, I've sold three businesses. I sold a, a rock wall, uh, which was very early on in my entrepreneurial journey okay. uh, for, for a couple of bucks. Uh, and then uh, more recently, yes, in the last two years, I've sold uh, my CrossFit gym to my brother from another mother, Andrew, who's who's taken wonderful mm -hmm. care of it, and also sold my other consulting business, FitBiz University, to my former partner, Joey, who's also doing an unbelievable job uh, with that company. Um, but it's important to note that in both cases, there was a ton of preparation that went into building the value of those businesses and, and making sure that they weren't reliant on necessarily reliant on me day to day to nice. energize them. Got it. Well, let's start breaking this down a little bit. This will be really helpful for a lot of our listeners who are looking to build and then sell their business. And you've got some good experience. You probably have some repeated systems you've used to yeah. kind of package your businesses. Now, I will say this, you have, uh, I would say more service-based businesses, but how you structure those businesses can create a value in which you can sell for a, a decent multiple. Um, let's touch on, let's just go to the, the very beginning. Let's touch on that rock wall, which I put in a similar category to a CrossFit gym. It's, yeah. it's a brick and mortar location. You're getting people in the door. They're probably paying a, a fee per hour or per yeah. day. Is that correct? 
Yeah, you know, it's funny. This is the perfect thing to start with. This will be the first time I've spoken about it on a podcast, but yours seems appropriate. It's exactly what not to do if you want to build a valuable business and sell it. Uh, And so we we were able to negotiate an unbelievable lease uh, for 7,500 square feet on the fourth floor of a mostly empty building for $1,000 a month. This was the nice. only reason we were able to do it. It was insane uh, in Chicago. And uh, and so because of that, we hauled up all this lumber and we hauled up all these, you know, this equipment and stuff. And we built this rock wall, um, which was actually really, really cool and interesting. Uh, but we didn't get permitting and we didn't have the right insurance and we didn't do the things right. We were fresh out of the military where we had just been building things in the desert for with no permits and, mm-hmm. and no things like that. Um, and so what ultimately happened was when we moved our gym, because we had deciding to move to a bigger location and become more of a business. Well, we couldn't move this giant, you know, rock wall. Um, and so because of that, out of really convenience or, you know, need, um, we sold it to another entrepreneur in the building. Uh, and I think we got, you know, it was five figures. It, it might've been, it might've been twelve, thirteen thousand $13,000 for that rock wall. And I believe it's still there today. And I think it runs in a, in a modest, you know, as a modest business still today. Got it. Now that was, was that the sale of the business or just the office? It was the sale of that, that part of the business. Yeah. It, it became it. its own LLC and we we broke it off. But what, at the time this was fresh out of the military. This was before we ever had any concept of, of be, building real foundations, which could ultimately become value in the business. Um, and yeah. so there were no systems. There was simply an asset that we had put sweat equity into um, and a, and a pretty loyal following of, of rock climbers in the area who would come there regularly and and really enjoyed it. And so there was some intrinsic value, but there certainly wasn't anything that we had built with an eye for creating value. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That's the key is you had a customer base and the repetitive customers. That's the key because there's a lot of um, Mm -hmm. agencies out there that work on projects. You bring a customer in, you work on a project, that customer then goes their own way. Uh, that that that's not a business, right? You right. can't sell that. But if you get people coming back to you, then you've got a business and you can sell that. So you said you sold it for five figures, right? Yeah. yeah not, not You work hard at something, you build a business, you're looking for something that can six or seven figures, oh, or yeah. five figures. Can you give us an idea? What, what kind of five figures we're talking about here? I think, I think that particular one, we, we were literally, it was almost like a, a, an afterthought on the way out the door. I think we sold that for less than $15,000, uh, okay. really just, just for the asset that it was just for the, the rock wall and the, 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 uh, sure. client list, right. Sure. Um, yeah. Did you, did you break even on that based on the materials? You know, invested? yeah, I think we did. I think our, our whole budget for starting the CrossFit gym and the, uh, <laughs> rock wall, I think was, was $9,000 in the beginning. Okay. So, yeah, we did it. We did it. Okay. All right. So yeah. first sale, 15 grand, we could say, yeah. all right. Yeah. Um, that's good to know. Now let's move on to the CrossFit gym. Now I have talked to, I think one or two other people that have built, but not sold uh, CrossFit or some kind of fitness type business model. I'm a member of an anytime fitness and I like the, I like the reoccurring model. It's a membership model and, and you would probably know the percentages more than me, but isn't it true that most people who pay the membership don't actually show up? Not in our business. In CrossFit, okay. it's actually a very high percentage. It is. Too. Okay. Uh, and so yeah. without getting too in the weeds, I want to backtrack before I talk about the gym and explain that as a commercial banker, as opposed to like an investment banker that would be specialized. Yeah. As a commercial banker, one day I would be analyzing a brick manufacturer, which is a very asset heavy uh, value driven business. And yeah. the next day I might be evaluating a law firm, which is very much a talent right. and service based business. And so these, these has always fascinated me, sort of the, the value drive 
drivers and, and where the, the risks are within different business models. Um, and so for a CrossFit gym, you know, I recognized very early on, it was, you know, I think we were 10 or 11 years old when I sold. Um, I recognized very early on that if we only relied on just us doing a great job and people showing up and the the rubber on the floor and the weights in the in the racks uh, that our business would be worth very very little and right. so um, it was important that we we found ways which I'll, I'll I'll expound on but we found ways to sort of productize and build assets that could be transferred over and didn't rely on the tribal knowledge that was stuck between my ears. Right, right. Yes, that's that's smart. And that's good. You're and that's something to emphasize here that you do have some good experience in corporate finance where you're 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 analyzing numbers, but you're also looking past the numbers. We I or I say this a lot with our business as an investor in stocks. Yes, it's important to start with the numbers. Look at those numbers like margin of safety. Look at the important numbers like revenue and net profit to make sure they're increasing quarter over quarter and year over year. But we as investors and entrepreneurs, we never want to stop at the numbers. We want to then look past those numbers, look at the business model. How do you scale it? Mm-hmm. Um, what What is the competitive advantage? So on and so forth. So um, you're, it sounds like your experience, not only as an entrepreneur, but your corporate finance has given you some of that, which is that you can apply forward. Yeah, I'll give you like a tactical example that anybody sure. who has a, a contract driven service business, uh, if you if you regularly are charging people over the period of time, and you have a, a very high collection rate. So for us as a gym, you know, we charge, say $100 a month, it was not that but let's sure. say it was $100 a month, and we sign everybody into a 12 month contract. I literally had a conversation with my CPA, just about the value of the business. And there was a moment where we went from a balance sheet that had only the equipment with residual, you know, uh, value mm-hmm. on it. You know, we might have had a low six-figure valuation at that point. But as soon as we capitalized our contracts, we had over 400 members at that time, 400 members times, it was actually closer to $300 a month times 12 months. And then you reduce that by you, um, what is yep. that? Uh, you work it back by some, you know, margin. Uh all of the sudden, my the value of our business, I think like 10x just from this one conversation. And so when we talk about building value in a service-based business, particularly those that are driven by contracts, there's one thing right there that will just many times multiply the value of your business. Um, not just if you want to sell it, but also if you want to go to a bank and, and leverage uh, some sort of a line of credit, mm-hmm. or if you want to build a new facility or expand to another location and start to have multiple locations. Um, this really unlocked the handcuffs of that business, uh, that decision. And it was one conversation that dramatically altered the future of that business. Got it. Let's, can we dive into that a little bit? And, and, and before we go there and dive into what you said there, that one conversation is on this podcast, I really like to jump in the numbers and really make them simple for the audience. So you said 400 customers at $300 a month, correct? Yeah, it's a little, it's a, that's a, it's a little oh, overstatement because there's, there's some, uh, some variance there, but let's say 400 customers at, at uh, $300 a month. Yeah. That's, that's impressive. So that means you're bringing in 120,000 a month with a service business. Nice work. Well, and you should have seen the place we were doing it out of. <laughs> <laughs> 
kind of was it was it kind of dumpy or uh, yeah so we showed up and it was it was a place they used to park cars and and i was in there with a power washer and <laughs> sure uh, it was it was a beautiful place and and i have tons of fond memories of it in fact there's a picture on my screen right there of the the garage door of it nice. uh, but we had we only had eight parking spots and we were running so many classes that we had to have our front desk actually moving cars and uh and acting as a as a valet at the front so it was definitely a grassroots very much guerrilla operation uh, in those days, you make it work. You, your military background taught you that. Yeah, I, I think that's actually exactly right. And I think it was the the tribe. Really, it was the the connection to people and the the willingness for us to help change people's lives and and sort of that uh, that really brought folks in and kept them there. And so we were able to demonstrate that not only did we have an unbelievable attrition or retention rate for yeah. our industry, but also that people were, would continue to come and would continue to bring in new friends and would continue to grow. Um, and so we were able to demonstrate mathematically that we actually were good for it, for those contracts. Right on. Okay. Let's uh, just uh, reverse here a little bit and drill into that one conversation. And and yep. and I can say this, and there's a lot of people out there, a lot of listeners, Sometimes it's not the 50 things that are said or the 25 things. It's like one thing that can move the needle. So what really changed the game for you in this business? Well, it's funny because just think about who I am in this conversation. I sit down with my my accountant who's great. He's an entrepreneur's accountant. He's creative, but he's also very thorough. And he's he's one of the guys that gets called for, uh, you know, to provide testimony for the IRS when those things arrive mm -hmm. in our area. So this is not, you know, some fly by night guy. Shout out to Dean. Uh, mm -hmm. But I'm someone who had worked behind the curtain, who had been analyzing companies and had been in these conversations in a very real way in a higher level than certainly we were at. Um, and so I knew what was possible. But then I would walk into a, a branch or, a, you know, a, a business banking location and talk to a, a, a lender and they just were not seeing the same things that I was. And so it was incumbent upon me, you know, this cowboy visionary type entrepreneur to say, okay, well, we need to be able to learn how to play uh, along with those games. We need to be able to check the boxes of the underwriter who's going to look at our business and scrutinize it from all of these different angles that most entrepreneurs don't even consider. And so for us, you know, it, it really stings when you've, you've built something out of nothing. And here you have not just hundreds of people, you know, praising you and telling you that you've built this tribe and it's changed their lives, but also like babies that are walking around because their parents met in your organization. And then I walk in and I sit down and I I'm, we're bringing in six figures a month. We're, we're employing multiple people. We took the team to Hawaii that year and they're telling me that we're not bankable. And so that's when I had to have a hard conversation with our, uh, it, we're not bankable at that, the level that we expected. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that's when I had to have a conversation with Dean. I was like, look, Dean, you know, we're doing this. I can literally go on vacation and we'll still grow. We had established systems in the business where it wasn't relying on ownership to thrive. Um, and he agreed. And so we just started throwing ideas out there. And one of them was there has to be value for these contracts that are 12 months long, hundreds of dollars a month. And we're collecting, I don't remember the exact figure, but it was in the 90% collection rate. Um, and so at the end of the day, we we agreed and we we checked into how to do it. And all we had to do was continually update them with basically our expected collections and our collections. And so it cost me, you know, maybe an additional, I think the number was $800 a month to hire a, a collection agency to follow up on unpaid nice. bills and make sure that we were collecting at a slightly higher rate, um, which was a little more hassle than I thought it would be because previously we just didn't do anything. But um and yeah, it, it it overnight, I think I'd have to think about the number, but 
I would say minimum seven X the value on, on the balance sheet compared to what it had been previously. Impressive. The key takeaway there is bring in a collection agency, put a little rigor around your, your debt collection, yep. uh, your, your accounts payable. I'm curious, did you use an online billing system so people were required to play with a credit card or debit card, or did you accept check as well? Absolutely not. I have one guy, uh, my my very close friend, John, uh, who's fantastic. Uh, and he's just mm -hmm. an old Italian guy, older Italian guy, wonderful. And he wants to pay you. I think he pays in cash, actually. He wants to pay you in cash <laughs> every month. And that guy wants to look you in the eye. And I respect that. But in yeah. general, absolutely not. As a matter of course, yeah. uh, you know, the fitness business is one that is very thoroughly, um, you know, uh, technological these days. There's there's great membership management softwares uh, that took care of that for us. Um, you know, we had contracts at the beginning of, uh, of bringing folks in. And more importantly, people wanted to be there. It's the yeah. reason why you don't trade in your car every single month, because it's it's more valuable in your driveway than it is, you know, traded back in. And so folks would stay yeah. longer at our gym than than others. Got it. Thanks for reassuring me that you use systems for your payments. And that's critical because that's yeah. that can be the life or death of a business. And I've run into service business owners that are they're too lackadaisical with that. Like, well, this person pays with check, but they pay on time. And then this person pays cash and this person may pay credit cards. Like, no, you need a, a rigorous system in place. And if there's even fees against it. That's fine. I actually, I won't deviate here, but I was talking to a few nonprofits that they do the same thing. They, they accept their donations to loosey goosey. And it's like, get your donors on a monthly schedule with an automated system where they have to put in a debit card or credit card. Your, your donations are going to go to through the roof if you want to sustain as a nonprofit. Do this if you want to sustain. If you don't, I tell you what, in three years, you might not be around. Yeah. And to add to that, um, I always tell people, you don't want to be the variable between your clients and reality. And I think a lot of times we're, we're purpose-driven people. We want to be nice. We want to be good. We want to impact the world in a positive way. And so we'll oh, pay as when you can, or, oh, we'll give you 30 day terms or, oh, we'll, we'll do this. Well, I can tell you right now, at least in the fitness business, you know, I had a 20% marketing budget. I couldn't be giving anybody terms because I right. needed to get that cash back out the door in the conversion cycle and, and get folks back in. Um, and so, yeah, you, you can't be the variable between reality and your clients. Let's take a quick commercial break. Have you ever lost money in the stock market? Maybe you heard or saw a comment on YouTube, TikTok, Reddit, or another social platform, or maybe you just received bad advice from a friend. Yeah, I think we've all been there. Most people lose money in the stock market because they make decisions based on emotions. What if you could remove emotions from investing? What if you could make consistent returns in the stock market based solely on logic? And what if there's a software that could handle that logic for you? Introducing Ticker, a platform that helps you manage your investments with confidence. Get started today with a free trial. Visit ticker.com. That's T-Y-K-R.com. Again, ticker.com. All right, back to the show. Um, I'm just doing the quick math here. So jumping back to the numbers, because I'm going to lead up to your, your sell of the business. This is key, a good takeaway for a lot of the listeners who are looking to sell their business. So you were generating about 120,000 per month, you know, per year, that equals about 1.4 million. That's a solid small business. Um, can you tell us, um, what did you sell the business for? And was it a multiple on revenue or EBITDA? 
I sold the business in, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you what I sold the business for, but uh, I sold, I sold my portion of the business. I still own 25% of it in 2020 uh, okay. to the person who had previously been the general manager. Um, and it was a middle six figures number that was satisfying to me. And it was one that I knew that he could handle with the business without uh, turning over the, the apple cart. The truth is I probably would have held on to the business for a few more years. Uh, but during 2020, we obviously in fitness, this was, at mm-hmm. least as bad as it could be for anybody else in the world. And we actually were moving out of state. Uh, and I didn't feel good owning that particular type of business from out of state. And at that point, I had already been sure. heavily involved day to day in my new business, which had been working with gym owners to help them do the same stuff that we had. And so we came to an agreement. Uh, I sold him. So I was a 75% owner and I'm now a 25% owner. So I hold, sold him my 50% of that business yeah. uh, for middle six figures. And we came up with terms that were satisfying to both of us. Got it. Got it. And did you use, like, did you factor in like a multiple on revenue or, or was it more, you know, it's, it's funny. I had gone to two business brokers and had come up with valuations previous to this. Uh, And the multiple I believe was, uh, was like, it was going to end up between uh, two and three yep. on EBITDA, which frankly was good for a business like yep. ours. They had told us that, you know, uh, yep. when, when we sat down with them, they were basically like, most gyms are worth the equipment and some gyms are worth the equipment and some earn out, right? Uh, you know, if you stick around and make sure everybody goes through the smooth transition, but because we had built just stridently worked through from, from, uh, from, we had a marketing person who was an employee. We had a sales, uh, nurture person that was an employee. We had a salesperson. We had a staff of 15 coaches that were employees. So there was no area where the entrepreneur was going to be forced to be actually working in the business unless they wanted to, which in this business right. they typically do. Well done. A two to three X multiple on EBITDA is outstanding. Um, I've talked to service business owners, especially people or even CPAs, and and the most you can get is one X, one X EBITDA, which is disheartening if you build your business over 30 years and now you want to sell it and go play golf all the time. <laughs> yeah. You know, the problem is I think most people get stuck in the tactical and they they get better and better and better at tactical. And so they say, look at this. And you go, yeah, but strategically you're not yeah. valuable without you there. And which is why entrepreneurial resilience is something that I think about a lot. Right. I like what you did there with the the one year contracts. I know with Anytime Fitness, for example, they give you incentive to go two years. So it creates that run rate, which can create, um, it's, it's more value you can sell the business for. Mm-hmm. So yeah, well done there. Thanks, um, man. Yeah. I, I want to transition to you built, did you build and sell a consulting business as well? Is that correct? So I- I, I joined a consulting business. I was okay. asked to join the consulting business. I was, um, are you familiar with Alex Hormozzi? Yes. Okay. So Alex Hormozzi started a company called Gym Launch. I was one of his very, very early clients. I think when they became, when they started uh, the model that ultimately was successful, I think like under 10, I was like within the first sure. five or six and did very well with his model. He's a generational talent in what he does uh, and just nothing but love and respect for that guy. And at a certain point we had gone from, you know, $9,000 a month to six figures a month. Uh, and so we had done very, very well using his system and things that he had, he had taught us and other things as well. And so he asked me to be one of his coaches and I did that on a part-time basis. Well, they, as they grew, they didn't want to have part-time coaches. 
and I'm nobody's employee, but I had fallen in love with, with this, with talking to other entrepreneurs and, and helping them solve problems and getting benefit to help me solve problems and learning things from teaching them. And so there just wasn't a way I wasn't going to continue to do that. And so one of the other coaches and I, uh, he, he asked me to join his company. So I came on as a minority partner, uh, did that for about two years uh, through COVID, which I think we helped a lot of businesses stay alive. We worked with a couple hundred entrepreneurs of, of fitness businesses um, in, during mm -hmm. that time. And then there just came a time when, when I just decided that I wanted to be the owner again. And I wanted to be the one whose chips were in the center of the table and the one whose, you know, whose core values were being energized in the mission. And so, you know, we parted as friends um, and he purchased back the minority share that I had from him. Gotcha. I don't want to dive into that one. It's another service business and I'm sure a great model as well. I'd like to transition to what you're building today. Yeah. Yeah. So today I'm the owner of Spear and Clover. Uh, so Spear and Clover is the uh, is this logo here that's on my forearm. And what it stands for is two of my five core values, which is uh, spirit of the puppy. I've had that since I was born. I'm high energy. I love meeting new people. My whole young life could be characterized as spirit of the puppy. But it wasn't until I found the military and ultimately the finance course that I or the finance uh, degree and work that I did that I got my second core value, which I call military mindset. And it's those two things that when I'm living in them, energize me the best. I'm not just hard charging and focused on my goals, but I'm also taking time to enjoy things and try new things and enjoy my life Good. now. And so it's important to me, uh, the thing that I've done throughout my career that's been consistent is building tribe of, of virtuous folks trying to help each other out and improve their lives. Um, and so that's why we've started a mastermind called the Spear and Clover Mastermind. Uh, we meet every Friday and twice a month, we bring in an expert guest speaker, probably like yourself. I'll probably invite you to come do that. Oh, um, and then we do 60 minutes of small group masterminding, which was something that totally changed uh, my life as an entrepreneur was, was finding peers that I could see eye to eye with and, and recognize a reflection in. Um, and then the second thing we do is we sell a course called Dynasty Defined. Um, and Dynasty Defined uh, borrows from the term dynasty in sports, because I think about these unbelievable, you know, sports dynasties like the, the New England Patriots, the Steelers, or the All Blacks yes. from New Zealand. And it seems like it doesn't matter who's on the field. It seems like it doesn't matter who the coach is. It seems like it doesn't matter what play they called. They always have an opportunity to win. And I think that's because they have a foundation that's built on core values with a solid mission that everybody's bought in on. They understand how to achieve long-term, big, hairy goals. And then they have frameworks to incorporate new people into that system so that you have everybody in the same boat rowing as hard as they can in the same direction. And so what we try to do is we take, uh, we go through a 12 week course with six entrepreneurs as a cohort, and we try to help everybody to build their own dynasty organization. Nice. Got it. So just to break down your model a little bit, you've got two main revenue streams. You got a mastermind and then courses. Yes, sir. And I, I really like courses. We're actually, and as of the beginning of January, we're working on courses as we speak. They will go live with ticker in February. Wonderful. Creating another additional stream of revenue. Um, I'm curious, what uh, platform do you use? I use Kajabi and and genuinely, okay. genuinely, I know the best in the business, a team that builds unbelievable courses. I have no reason to tell you this other than I've worked with, you know, third party entrepreneur fulfillment companies so much in my time. Uh, Mike Gonzalez and Freedom Builders are absolutely the best that I've ever found. 
Nice. Yeah. Kajabi solid and yeah. good to know you got a team working with you. Yeah. Um, I like to jump into pricing. You know, we're all about the numbers here at payback time. Yeah. Can you tell us mastermind, what do you charge your customers on average now? And keep in mind, we know that with service businesses, especially rates can always increase. Yeah. So for me, I envision a digital city of entrepreneurs. I want a thousand people in that digital city where when one problem pops up, we all are brought to bear to solve sure. it energize it and move forward together even better across that board. And so for me, uh, I'm in masterminds personally that are five figures a month. And yep. for us, it's 500 bucks. I want people that are engaged, that feel like it's a hundred percent value, that feel like there's never a reason why they would cut this from their budget and still get tons and tons of value. And so for me, it's 500 bucks a month. We ask them for a 12 month commitment and you kind of know where that song and dance goes on the back That's end. Good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, so that's the, the front end for, for getting them into our ecosystem. And we also do have a podcast that we monetize just through uh, generating leads. Yes. Nice. Um, that's good to know. I, I really like your structure there. How do you, um, at that price point, do you have a, like a limit of how many people can join a mastermind at a time? Like some people I talk to are like, well, we try to keep it to like eight people or 10 people or 15. Do you have a limit? No. So I really, um, whenever I think about what I want to do, I just write down uh, the benefits that I want to give my client and then sure. all the different ways that I could deliver those benefits. And then I try to pick the ones that is the best balance between the delivery to the client and the lack of taking my time for money. And so rather than being in one-on-one -on -one coaching, you do group coaching. Well, if the group gets big enough, you have to either have multiple different calls or Zoom has this wonderful feature where I can break out into subgroups of as many people as I'd like. And so I could have a thousand people on the call. I can bring in a guest speaker who does their jam and takes questions and answers. And then every, I could take a thousand people and break them up into groups of for, and they would have the exact same intimate uh, mastermind session that they would have otherwise had. And then as far as in-person summits, which we do quarterly, you know, I hope to see those venues grow and I hope to see those guest speakers get bigger and bigger and more and more well-known. Awesome. You answered my scale question is how do you scale a mastermind? And I love that you bring in other experts. You've got other breakout rooms with Zoom. We use Zoom as well. Great tool. Yeah. Oh. Uh, can I just add to that, that um, we have a, we have a roadmap for where we want to get. And one of the things is at trigger points, we're going to be adding uh, features. And so some of those features would be, uh, I'd like to, I've been in a group that did this. Cole Gordon's group did this. Who's, he's a terrific coach. They would have subject matter experts. Uh, I didn't want to build this around just me and my brain, right? So they have subject matter experts that on a regular basis are paid as contractors to come in and have, this is our, our weekly marketing call or our monthly marketing call. This is our legal call. This is our investment investing call. This is our, uh, you know, social media call, because there are going to be people that can bring to bear so many things that I just wouldn't be able to do. And so I can do that as soon as we hit economies of scale, because at a certain point, the, the, uh, the marginal expense of a new client is, is incredibly low. Right, right on. Cool. Um, let's transition to the courses. What are you charging for your courses? So the course right now is $5,000 and I've paid $20,000 to go through a mm -hmm. course that was very similar. But again, the, the biggest thing that I was thinking about in setting it up wasn't how much money can I make right now? It really wasn't. It was how do I create this digital city? And so what I wanted was incredibly viscous path to yes. I didn't want to have anything standing in the way where somebody who's ready to climb Mount Everest, but maybe doesn't have the funds yet to buy into a $20,000 program would be able to be on that journey because I know that I can help him get up that mountain. And I know that once he does, he's going to be my advertising and marketing. 
Yep. Awesome. Cool. Um, all right. Well, before we transition to the rapid fire round, I have one more question for you, which is, do you have like one key takeaway, something the audience can do today to help either move the needle of their business or become a better investor? Uh, I really like the five core functions exercise where you just look at the five core functions of your business, which is, you know, the front end is, um, you know, marketing, uh, lead nurture, sales, fulfillment, and then retention and upsell, and just rate those on one to five. And the one that's the lowest score, that's where you put your focus on fixing it. I could go into much more depth, but that's the best little blurb I can give you is to just do the holes in the boat uh, test once a month uh, and work on those holes until they're no longer there and then find the next biggest hole. I love that. And I'm sure if they wanted to learn more, they could reach out to you and dive into a mastermind. Well, yeah, um, absolutely. I, I would invite <laughs> folks to come to the mastermind for free. But but what I just addressed there, I have a free quiz called the um, Entrepreneur Resilience Quiz. And anybody can find that at the links in my social bio yeah. or on the website. Make sure you send that to me because we're going to get that in the show notes on this. So good, good call. Good takeaway there for the audience. Um, all right, let's dive into the rapid fire round. This is Pumped. a fun part of <laughs> Glad you're pumped, man. Uh, this is the part of the episode where we get to find out who Jason really is. Oh, boy. If you can, try to answer each question in 15 seconds or less. You ready? Okay. Yes, sir. All right. What is your favorite podcast? Joe Rogan. Okay. Nice. Um, what is a recent book you read and would recommend? Oh, my God. The, the, the Almanac of Naval Ravikant is unbelievable. What's it about? Uh, Naval Ravikant was an early investor. He's uh, he owns Angel uh, Angels List. Uh, he's yeah, a, a, yeah. a tech investor guy, uh, and it's basically a combination of like a modern rich dad, poor dad, uh, with like uh, like a book by Buddha. It's unbelievable. It's philosophical. It's incredibly pithy. Uh, it's a lot of it is uh, extrapolations on tweets that he's written, which he uses tweets to sort of uh, copyright his ideas um, and like you know trademark or to I'm um, sorry to like edit his ideas fascinating second sure. one would be essentialism both of those books were this year and both of those books were were movers for sure the for your, first for, first book what was the name again uh the the almanac of naval ravikant i'm gonna throw another one at you um um it's essentialism for your audience though built to sell is is excellent yes yes that that is indeed a good one i'm looking up this uh this almanac of Naval Ravikant. I'm on Amazon right now as we speak. Oh, yeah. Adding adding to my cart. <laughs> yeah. Good yeah. one. I like it. Um, all right. Next question here for the movie nerds out there like myself. What is your favorite movie? Fight Club. Second would probably be uh, The Big Lebowski. Good choices. Both of them have not been mentioned on this podcast before. I actually, quick segue, just listened to... One of my favorite podcasts is um, Smartless, yeah. And Edward Norton was on the podcast. Yeah. It's it's Will Arnett, um, Jason Bateman, Sean Hayes, yeah, great great guys, and it's great. a lot of fun. And they yeah. touched on Fight Club a little bit. Yeah, yeah. He's one of the best actors, Ed Norton. He's a talented dude for sure. Yeah. All right, we got a few business questions here. What is the worst advice you ever received? Just work harder. <laughs> uh no expand upon that for a moment i'd like to hear yeah. your thoughts i mean i've built a whole my whole persona my whole life identity is on not 
just working harder. It's on finding elegant solutions. It's on uh, shepherding my attention because it's led me to mm. such valuable things in my life. And when I do that, I never feel like I'm working. I retired in 2018. I haven't done anything since then for money that I didn't want to do. Um, and you can do that, maybe not overnight, but pretty quickly if you only take steps towards that mountain. Right. I, I like it. And I know before the show, you mentioned you when you sold uh, one of your businesses, probably the CrossFit one for a larger profit there, you were able to get away and spend more time with your your daughter. Yeah, I, d- I took a year of service. I, I did a mini retirement from November of 2021 until November of 2022, when I just recently launched Dynasty Defined. Um, and, and I just paid attention to what I wanted to do with my day, which was podcasting, talking to entrepreneurs, whether on a podcast or just shooting the breeze and helping them or helping me. Um, I did jujitsu and kickboxing every day. And I spent tons and tons of time with my wife and my, our, our new daughter, Lucy. That's awesome. Good for you. Um, let's flip the equation here. What is the best advice you ever received? If you're not going to do it for life, don't do it for a day. Ah, love it. A lot of wisdom behind that. And the last question here is the time machine question. If you could go back in time to give your younger self advice, what age would you visit and what would you say? I think I would meet myself in high school and just tell myself to relax a little bit. I think like many people, my identity was so much ascribed to me. I think there's three phases of identity, one where people ascribe it to you, one where you look outward for it, and then finally one where you look inward for it. And I think that if I could talk to myself as a younger person, um, I could have found discipline sooner. I could have found more lasting relationships and happiness by just relaxing a little bit. Good, good advice. All right. Well, why don't you tell us where the audience can reach you? Absolutely. Thank you, Sean. And first, before I do, if you're still listening to this, it's for a good reason. It's because Sean is an unbelievable interviewer and provides so much value for you for free. So run over to his site, like, subscribe, and share that because it is the only way that you can uh, really help him without having to spend any money. And if you still have any energy left, I would absolutely love to have you visit www.spearandclover.com. You can also find me on all social media platforms as Jason Skisick and as Spear and Clover. Um, on Instagram, which is my platform of choice, um, you can find multiple free things for entrepreneurs, including the entrepreneur resilience quiz that I just posted recently and we talked about today. Awesome. Well, Jason, thank you so much for your time. All right. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate it. This was a blast. Thank you. We'll see you. All right. Hey, I'd like to say thank you for checking out this podcast. I know there's a lot of other podcasts you could be listening to. So thanks for spending some time with me. Also, if you have a moment, could you please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review? The more reviews we get, the more Apple will share this podcast with the world. So thanks for doing that. And last thing, if you do hear any stocks mentioned on this podcast, please keep in mind, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do not make a buy or sell decision based solely on what you hear. All right. Thanks for your time. We'll talk to you later. See ya. See ya.